From Data Rails, this is FPNA Today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FPNA Today. I am your host, Paul Barnhurst, aka the FPNA Guy, and you are listening to FPNA Today. FPNA Today is brought to you by DataRails, financial planning and analysis platform for Excel users. Every week, we will welcome a leader from the world of financial planning and analysis to discuss some of the biggest stories and challenges in the world of FPNA. We will provide you with actionable advice about financial planning and analysis. This is going to be your go-to resource for all things FPNA. I am thrilled to welcome today's guest on the show, Jeff Marks. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Paul. Yeah, I know we're excited to have you. So a little bit about Jeff. Jeff comes to us from the uh, Columbus, Ohio area. He graduated from The Ohio State University, majoring in business, and he's worked for uh, Hexion for the last 21 years in a number of different finance roles. So maybe, Jeff, you could tell us a little bit more about yourself, take us you know, through your background in a little more detail and how you ended up where you're at today. Sure. I've been with uh, Hexion for uh, 21 years. Hexion's a large global chemical manufacturing company headquartered here in Columbus. Uh, we've been through a number of mergers and acquisitions over the, the many years we've been here. I've had roles in internal audit, financial planning and analysis, controllership. I was the CFO of a business unit, and now I lead our treasury organization. So you know, prior to uh, coming to Hexion, I started my career in public accounting. i uh, as you mentioned, I have a bachelor's in accounting and finance and an MBA from Ohio State, and I'm a CPA and a CFA charter holder. Great. So you have the, the CFA and the CPA. Yes, I do. It's um, uh, you're both very challenging, but uh, you're both rewarding in uh, you know, the opportunities it, it has given me over the years. Well, great. No, that's, a, that's exciting. I'm glad it's given you those opportunities and you know, certifications definitely uh, can help us stand out when when needed. So that's good. So maybe can you talk a little bit? You mentioned I think your current role is VP, your vice president, and you manage treasury. So maybe can you talk a little bit about you know what all is entailed in your current role, what you're doing today? Sure, we're managing the capital structure, the cash flow, the liquidity of the organization. We manage uh, risk and credit. Our organization also works closely with the business and our private equity owners and running a five-year model. And there's a lot of work uh, that goes into that and understanding the, the drivers and the, the strategic initiatives that we're undertaking. And then we work with all kinds of st- stakeholders, our uh, investors, our creditors, our, uh, our vendors in talking about what is going on with their business, what are the drivers, how we're performing, and making sure that we can clearly articulate you know, the story of Axion. Understood. So you're, you're private equity held, and so I imagine a lot of your time is providing data with to the investors and helping them understand performance. Absolutely. So we have a great ownership team, and uh, we work very closely with them. No, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. I could see where you'd spend a lot of time there. So I know a couple of years, I think it was two years ago, you spoke at AFP regarding the finance passport. Can you, yes. tell our, can you tell our audience what that is? Maybe give them a little bit of an overview of what is the finance passport. Sure. Uh, maybe you could back up for a second and talk about how 
how we got to this finance passport. That'd be and, great. Uh, you know, a few years ago, we went down, we created a project with uh, human resources where we were really struggling with how to articulate what a career path looks like at Hexion. And especially for some of the younger people that we've brought in the organization saying, you know, here is your current role. Here are the different opportunities that are available to you in the future. And we started with kind of reverse tracing some different individuals saying, oh, how did they get to where they are? And, you know, what steps did they take? And, you know, right away, it was clear that that was going to be a very difficult process and not necessarily very meaningful because everybody had somewhat of a different journey to how they they ended up with where they are. We were struggling with this, so we engaged Gartner, and what we found is that we were not alone in having these issues with defining what a career path looks like in finance, especially in you know a modern present day finance organization where, you know, especially in a place like Hexion, where uh, through the cha- challenges of mergers and acquisitions, the, the organization evolved, you know, many times in the course of the, you know, the last several years. So what we found is that, you know, these traditional corporate ladders are really kind of a thing of the past. And mm-hmm. people, uh, given that these organizations are flatter and leaner, people end up spending longer times in their current role. And that developed, that creates a challenge too, because when it is time to make that jump, it's a bigger jump than it was in the past when you maybe had a little bit more ability to promote people more, more frequently and, and gradually take on more responsibilities. So with all that being said, it's, uh, you know, really what we found by working with Gardner is that you know, these leading organizations are really taking a different approach, abandoning more of these corporate ladder type uh, experiences and moving to more of these matrices where your next move might not necessarily be a promotion, but you can go from, say, business finance or, or FP&A to, to treasury. You're going to get a lot of different, a lot of experience that you didn't get in your previous role, but that makes you a more well-rounded finance person. And that helps you continue to de- develop your skills and you know work towards uh, leadership positions that require you to have more exposure across all facets of finance and not just um, kind of being in, in one silo. So really where the challenge was, how do you change this mindset from this uh, you know, corporate ladder type mentality to more of, a, more of a journey? And what we developed is this tool that we call the finance passport. And the way we approach it is you have five different areas of, of finance, right? You have uh, audit, controllership, business finance, slash FP&A, tax, and treasury, slash investor relations. And within each of those groups, you have different skill sets that you would hope to achieve if you t- spent some time in that, in, that, uh, in that area. And then on top of that, you always have leadership skills you can develop um, that are broader that can be um, really transferable to you know, outside of finance where we've had, you know, here at Hexion, we've had people move out of finance into procurement and HR and other reason, other parts of the business. Really, you can develop your leadership skills from any place in, in the business. And then ultimately, the overarching uh, part of the passport would be the CFO skill set. And again, 
you don't necessarily need to be the CFO to start working on those types of skills. Really developing a CFO mindset, you can you can do that from lots of different places in the organization. So the passport basically creates an inventory of all these skills that you would expect over to develop over a finance career and you can rate yourself where you think you presently are on a scale of one to five and where you would like to be on a scale of one to five. And it's color-coded uh, based on where you rate yourself. And this is all self-service. You do this on your own. And uh, it's a tool that helps you say, here's the part where I'm really interested. I don't have a lot of experience. How can I go get that? Or here's the part, just like a real passport, You know, there's places I want to go. There's places I know I don't want to go. For example, tax. Some people really want to spend a lot of time in tax and, and have a career in tax. Some people, it's very apparent right away that they have nothing, they have no interest in tax. And all of that, there's no right or wrong answer. It's very individual, but it, it's somewhat of a map that helps you think about your career, where you've been. You know, there could be things that you think you have a, a lot of experience in, but you don't ever want to do that again. Just like a, place you don't really want to go again on your, on your real passport. There are places that you know, you, you've got to find a way to get to. So it's really been, uh, it's been well-received. It's been, uh, it's really helping to try to change that mindset to uh, be less promotion-based and more of a, a growth culture-based. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate the explanation there. And if just kind of recap, I think you mentioned there were five areas, accounting, audit, tax, treasury, and business finance, our FP&A is the kind of the five areas, then obviously the CFO. What I like there is your focus of it no longer being a career ladder, right? That's how we all think about our career. But sometimes it's really moving and gaining different experiences. And like you mentioned, sometimes a lateral, as far as the role goes, may be a really good and the right move for your career because, hey, I need some experience as a controller. I need some time there if I want to be a CFO. And a lateral for 18 months is better than just continuing to move up this channel because it won't get me where I ultimately want to go. I like that, like what you shared about Gartner, how there's really, you know, when talking to them, there's not one path through finance, right? They're, everybody takes a different kind of road. They wind their path through finance. So, you know, as you, one thing you mentioned in there is you talked about one of the things you wanted was a growth, you know, based culture. And then you also mentioned a promotion-based culture. So can you talk a little bit about the difference between the two? Yeah. Uh, promotion-based is really more thinking about every couple of years I, I need to get, you know, I was an associate, I need to be a senior associate, and I need to be a manager, and I need to be a senior manager. It's very, that mentality can sometimes paralyze people when they're thinking about their career. And there's been a number of times where people were presented fantastic opportunities to get, you know, different skill set than what they already have. But this concept of like, well, I'm a senior associate now, and that role is a senior associate. My next role really needs to be a promotion. Really trying to drive a different mindset, saying that it might not be a promotion per se, but when you look at how you're building out your resume you're going to be able to add all of these things to it. And this is good for you in the long run, even though, you know, from a title perspective, it might not, might not have changed. It's very difficult because I think it's, you know, there's a lot of pressure 
amongst everyone, right? Especially when you look on LinkedIn, everybody seems to have some fancy title and you're like, well, how do I get a fancy title? It's uh, it's a challenge, right? It, it is not easy to convince somebody that you are better off with this lateral. Sometimes it's maybe even you know a lower level on paper, but you are developing a skill set that you didn't have. And that makes you more marketable, both internally and externally. And, and that's the mindset I think you need to have in, in an environment that is ever-changing. And I'll give you one more example that when mm-hmm. you think about, you know, from my experience, I mean, when, you know, 10 years ago, we thought this great job would be like a vice president of, of finance of, of a division, right? This, that's, that would have been a, 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 great, a great stop in my career. Well, through mergers and acquisitions and restructuring and reorganizations, that position doesn't even exist anymore. So if you, if you have yourself focused on one particular role with one title, if you're setting yourself up for disappointment. You have to be pretty agile in today's environment because it's on paper, it always sounds good. Like, well, you know, I can just job hop or move somewhere else. And that's how I can continue to keep getting these titles. And sometimes that works, but in reality, it's, it's not always, doesn't always work that way. It's pretty, pretty difficult uh, and pretty disruptive to your personal life to keep changing jobs, changing cities. You know, the, you, know, you got to find a way to uh, continue to grow within the confines of where, where you're at. Sometimes making a move isn't the best, the right decision. But, uh, sometimes it's, you've got to find development strategies within the organization you're currently in. Got it. And your example there made sense to me of, hey, you know, 10 years ago, I wanted to be this. Today, the role doesn't even exist. So being flexible and realizing that growth within a company can happen, but you need to be patient and there's different paths you can take and put everything together for the benefit of the long run. Not always that short term, that next role, hopping every eight months so you can get a, a better title on LinkedIn, right? Or whatever it might be. Right. So... How was this received at first? Did you get a lot of pushback when you rolled this program out? Or can you talk a little bit of just how adoption happened, how you were able to ingrain it in the, you know, in the org and the culture? Yeah, it's, uh, I say it's voluntary. It's 100% voluntary. And it's also a tool that you're going to get out of it what you put into it. And I think that's one message that we've been trying to push here in, uh, it's really a life lesson is that you have to own your own career because no one else is going to own it for you. So you have to put it, you have to put the time and effort into it. And generally speaking, your manager is more than happy to have these career discussions with you, but you, you've got, you've got to drive that and you've got to say, these are the experiences that I'm missing. How can I get them? And one of the other themes of this passport and this growth culture is that you don't always have to change roles to get these these skills. You can get these skills in different different ways. You can be on a project. You can sometimes do like a, a brief rotational program or a, a, you know volunteer to help another department for a brief period of time, teaching a course or teaching a, a like a lunch and learn or something. All these things are are ways that you can you can develop skill sets outside of you know your normal day to day job. So. Generally speaking, there are numbers of, uh, there are a lot of opportunities within a corporate environment to jump in on an HR project, uh, to jump in on you know, an M&A project. Uh, those things that kind of push you out of your comfort zone that you know, when you're challenged, that's when real development happens. And how do you find those opportunities to challenge yourself in 
continue to check off boxes and mm-hmm. in that that passport in, increase your your skill set the, the different the different experiences you have that again like I said makes you more marketable both within and outside of the organization that that makes sense and I appreciate when you said a hundred percent on your own right it's it's you that does it you got to right. own your own career. This is a voluntary program and you got to be able to push yourself outside your comfort zone. You know, I've, as I've heard it said, we've all probably heard something similar, right? The magic happens when we get outside our comfort zone. That's when real growth happens and we develop because it's, it's real easy. We're all to some extent, you know, creatures of comfort and it's easy to get comfortable and not want to change. So I, I like how you challenge people to do that within the program. So one thing as I was reading through the program that I noticed is you talk about finance athletes mm-hmm. and finance specialists. Can you tell our audience the difference between the two? Sure. Uh, an athlete is someone who can be dropped into a number of different finance roles and, and be successful. They have an appetite for for learning, for continuing to get these new experiences, to round out their resume to to be a, a well diversified financial professional to be able to speak to the issues in audit, IT, FP&A, treasury, compliance, the whole gamut really with that mindset of ultimately striving to be a CFO, really being a, a leader in the finance department and being able to speak particularly about many different facets of what we do as, as finance professionals. The flip side of an athlete is, is a specialist, right? So a specialist develops deep expertise in one area, right? And, and you know, I'll go back to the tax example. You can be a world-class tax person and really focus on all aspects of tax in international tax, sales and use tax, really focused in one area. And that's fine too. That is a, that's an excellent career path. And there's not, again, there's not a right or wrong answer. But you have to know which one you want to do. And you have to know the trade-offs of, of both, right? So if you're an athlete and you're willing to jump in, do a stint internal audit because you think it would be, you would learn a lot about audit and operations, do a stint in treasury or controllership and, and learn, learn about the budgeting process and, and, and uh, you know, some of the, the accounting tools that, that we use and the, the, the software, you know, you have a lot of you'll have a lot more opportunities as an athlete to go do different things. To your promotions may come a little bit faster. You know, if you're a specialist, it's a fine career path as well. But know that you're going to have to spend a lot of time in one role. In in your role is going to be a, a kind of a longer uh, path to keep kind of moving up the the ladder, so to speak. That you know, if that is what your goal is, right? It's, it's, it's tougher. It's, 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 it's tougher. You're not going to get as many different experiences. You're going to, to, you're going to spend a lot of time in getting that deep knowledge in, in, in one area. Again, both have buying career prospects. If you are a rock star in tax, you're going to be a hot commodity, right? If you're, um, but you're going to be, you're, you're probably not going to be, maybe in rare cases, you might not, you might not have the breadth to be the CFO if you're not able to talk about some of the other aspects of, you know, the other aspects of finance, mm-hmm. you know, the compliance, the compliance pieces, the capital markets pieces, the, the FP&A pieces of it. So, 
Got it. Thank you for that explanation. As I was sitting there listening to you describe that, you know, I was thinking a little bit how you can relate that, you know, finance athlete and finance specialist to sports, right? Baseball, you have the mm-hmm. pitcher that's the closer. He just comes yeah. in for the ninth inning and that's it. His job is very specialized. The designated hitter, very specialized. But then yep. you have your utility infielder. One night he might be at shortstop. The next night he might be at second base. The next night he might be on the bench. You know, it's changing depending on where they need him. Just like in football, right? Quarterback, very specialized. But you occasionally have that guy like Taysom Hill is a player that comes to mind for me. He's played tight end. He's played on the defense. He's played on special teams. He's played wide receiver, quarterback, and running back, right? He's an athlete. You put him where you can use him and you make him work. There's just people that you want, you know, you want both in any organization. Like you said, one's not necessarily better than the other. They're different. And they both have their benefits. It's knowing what you want to be and utilizing your strengths to accomplish your career. That, that's a great analogy. And to your point, I mean, you know, a designated hitter can make, can do really well in the league, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the utility player is very valuable as well. So it is, you kind of have to know which, what do you want to be? Because that's going to influence some of your career decisions, right? Exactly. No, knowing who you want to be and where you want to be are going to help guide you so that you can get the most out of your finance passport and get, like, as you said, the countries or the role stamp that you want. That's right. So next question I have here for you. I know, Hexion, you guys use a thing called the, the future resume. Yeah, this is the first time I'd ever heard that term when I was reading through your program. So maybe can you talk to our audience a little bit about what the future resume is and how you guys use that? Yeah, that's uh an extension of the passport. And again, uh, we were introduced by this concept uh, from Gardner and it's something that the Ford Motor Company uses and is really um, thinking about what, what do you want your resume to look like in five years? And you know how do you work backwards to get there? So it's very much the same theme of the passport. It's, uh, but you know, if, if I want to be in a certain role, there are skill, certain skill sets I'm going to need to develop. And how do how do I think about getting those skill sets between now and in that time where where I want that role? And it's a little bit, you know, still somewhat challenged, right? Because you know you don't always know that that role that you want in five years is going to be there. It's, it's, things change, right? But it still is more of a way of thinking about standing in the future. What do I need to do to get there? It, I think from a career perspective, especially in finance, we get stretched. There's fire drills every day and you need to pause and think about how, what, what do I need to be doing to get, to keep myself marketable, to keep growing in my career? Um, sometimes you're fighting fires all day. It, you, those things can, you know, pass you, pass you by. And, you know, between the finance passport and the future resume, you should be having, you know, good, at least a mid-year discussion with your manager, or maybe even more frequently than that. It's like, here are the things where I'd, I'd like to take my career. Can you help me? What can I do to go out and get these skills? What can I do to help get on these projects that I want to get onto? What can I do to, to help help get there? And uh, really, the whole goal of both the future resume and, and the passport is thinking about how do I get those skill sets I want to get to keep growing as a professional. That, uh, that makes sense to me. And I think the way I look at it as you've described that is really this whole program is designed to help the employee own their career. 
and to get where they want to be and, and take away the idea that, Hey, we're just a promotion. We're just a ladder company. Cause that's not reality anymore. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You've got to own your career and it's, uh, and your manager should be able to support you and help provide tools. But ultimately, you know, it's something that you need to drive. Yeah, I would agree with that. Everybody needs to drive their own career. A manager is there to help remove roadblocks where he can enable you to get the opportunities, but you have to deliver and you also have to let them know what you want. They're not going to be able to tell what you want out of your career. That's right, too. And it's, a, it's a, also a, a great mechanism to get you and your manager on the same page. I can see where this could be very beneficial to get the manager and you on the same page because you've gone through and thought about where you want to be. You've done a future resume. You've rated yourself. And they can also look at those ratings and offer advice. And it's a very great way to start to help you develop those plans for the year and to make sure you're really developing versus just in a seat with the job. You know what it is like. 13 different spreadsheets emailed out to 23 different budget holders, multiple iterations, version control, errors, back and forth updates. You never really feel in control of the consolidation and collection process. Yep, I've been there. Stop. Breathe. DataRails is the financial planning and analysis platform for Excel users. DataRails takes data from all your company's disparate sources. No organization is too complex, consolidating everything into one place, secured in the cloud. Now all your data finally talking to each other. Everything is automated back into your report in Excel. Cash flow, FX conversion, intercompany transactions, now automated and up to date. Drill down and variance analysis in seconds. Don't replace Excel, embrace Excel. Turn your Excel into a lean, mean FPNA machine. Find out more at www.datarels.com. So since you've implemented the program, what would you say is the main benefit you've seen at Hexion? Yeah, um, I think you are starting to see a change in mindset. It is um, driving a culture where, and I think if maybe in my career, if somebody would have said that a little more explicitly, you know, you own your own career, it's not just going to, no one's just going to figure it out for you. I think that would have been helpful to mm-hmm. kind of figure that out a lot earlier. So I think it is driving a, a change in the culture. I think that it also it helps when you have some of these conversations too, where you say, you get some people who are, who are frustrated. I don't know what's next. What is it? Well, have you filled out the passport? Well, no. I mean, that kind of, as a manager that, that, or a mentor, that, that also tells you something that they're, they're not really owning it. So it's definitely helped to drive great discussions between managers and mentors and, uh, you know, associates. It's helped to find, um, it's helped us to think differently as managers of, of how to get people involved in projects that will help get them some of these skill sets. Uh, how do you, uh, you know, we've done things like guest auditor programs that where, you know, people ex- express interest through the passport. Um, how do you get some audit exposure? And, you, you know, you can go participate in some internal audits and not necessarily have to, uh, you know, go into internal audit for a couple of years. Is 
really helped uh, us think about how do you get different opportunities on the job experiences with not necessarily always having to create formal uh, change in position. So it's, uh, I think we still have a lot of work to do in terms of driving that culture. As I mentioned earlier, it is human nature to want to be promoted. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of peer pressure and that won't go away. But the reality too is in a flat organization is just not always possible to, to do that. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, it's not always possible to promote people in a flat organization. But, you know, as I listen to you talk about the benefits and as you've talked about the program so far, I wish I would have had something like this early in my career. I've done some different programs, but not this explicit and this well laid out. I think it would have really helped me and particularly focusing on those special projects, like you mentioned, like carving something out to go over to audit. Like, you know, I have no interest in being an auditor, but if I want to be a CFO, I got to understand audit and working on some special projects would be a great way to get that experience without, you know, spending two years in auditing. That is a great, great way to think about it and to do those special projects to help people round out those skills without having to have a formal role. So, you know, if someone in our audience is going, this sounds great. I would love to use something like a finance passport in my career. How, how would you uh, tell them to get started or what advice would you give somebody who wants to implement something like this in their career? It's really uh, thinking more about how do I grow my resume? How do I grow the skills on my resume versus how do I limit my opportunities just because of there's a title? So you may go get a new title, but you're not getting a lot more experience. There's some merit to that, but I think there's often more merit saying... (laughs) If I, if I go take this other, if I go take this job that has a promotion, I might add two bullet points to my name or to my resume. If I go take this other one, I'm going to add seven different skills that I could add. It's finding, it's changing that mindset to, especially when you're early in your career, how do you grow your, your finance skill set? How do you develop a broad spectrum and not always just chase, uh, just be so focused on, you know, what is my title? Was my next, uh, my senior associate or a manager? Or how, how do I focus on more on the experience, the journey? Am I growing as a professional as opposed to um, what is my title? It's easy to get caught up in the, the title game and focusing on that. I can sure. remember being there early in my career. And I remember I took one role and I tried to push for a senior manager title in the job and they weren't willing to do it. And I took the job anyway. And I was really glad I learned a ton in the experience. And a couple of years later, when I left, I'd been a director and managed a couple different divisions. And I got a lot of experience I wouldn't have had somewhere else. And so I can totally appreciate sometimes taking the, the lateral and letting go of the title is worth it. It can be really beneficial when it checks the right boxes and allows you to gain that experience you need in your career. But early on, it's hard for a lot of us to recognize that because we're such a culture moving up driven career ladder society that people just get caught up and I got to be in the name and I got to have the title. Yes. And I, I mean, part of this project too was really, uh, you know, based on my own experience, my own journey it, and, uh, so much of your career is based on, um, timing on external factors you know, event-driven uh, business needs, uh, you know, mergers, acquisitions, divestitures. 
it's a, you know, the organization is a dynamic, growing, shrinking, changing organization. You know, the, how do you, how do you strike this balance of supporting the company, continuing to advance in your career? And, and trust me, I've had, you know, title discussions too in my career. It's not, that's not lost on me, but it is, is one piece of the puzzle. You kind of have to find that North Star. Like, is this, do I want to be a CFO? Is, is this career path? Is this next role? Is this going to help me on that journey? Or is it going to take, take me off that journey? And there've been times where, you know, there's some jobs with like fancy titles that aren't really going to help you grow anymore. You have to kind of, then they're done that, or it's not really something that's going to keep you on that path, but it's got a great title. You know, you, you've, you've got to find that filter, your own personal filter that helps you sort through all that. And if it's the only filter is, is this a higher level than the last level? That's, not always the right approach. It's it's am I growing my skill set? Am I am I keeping on a long term path versus am I just taking this next role because it's you know more money is a higher title, it's a promotion, not a demotion, or a promotion, not a lateral, or whatever it is. You know how do you how do you change that mindset to more of a, a skill set based as opposed to just this corporate ladder <laughs> that isn't really always there anymore. I'm going to repeat what you said for the audience because it's a point that anyone earlier in their career really needs to listen to is that idea of stop just thinking about the title, the money, the next promotion. Those are all important. But if you have a path and you know where you want to get and you focus on getting the right skills and taking advantage of when the opportunity comes along, you'll be just fine in the end. As long as you do, do good work, you'll get promoted. The opportunities will come. So don't chase the promotion. Chase the growth experiences that will allow you to become the kind of leader in the role you want to be in. It's a hundred percent, hundred percent. What uh, next question here, what would you recommend for a company? If somebody's listening out there, maybe a you know, VP of finance or a CFO and saying, Hey, we need something like that at, at our company. We need to be more growth based and implement a program like this. What advice would you offer them? Oh, well, first thing I would say, it is hard. <laughs> so all those things that we mentioned, it, it, it's, it will take time. It, it will resonate with some right away. And then you kind of come back to these title discussions and it, it, it is human nature and it, it's, it's, it's very difficult. But really, it's creating an environment that thinks about development and annual goals, right? You know, it, an annual goal would be more uh, short-term focused, more specific in terms of meeting the plan. What are we going to do? Development goal is more around education, growth, more long-term developing a, a professional finance person. How do you, you have to have a balance of, of both those kind of business initiative goals that you set each year versus you know these development goals that are that are more educational around finding the right opportunities, challenging people, finding those projects that are going to allow, you know, maybe somebody who's an individual contributor on the org chart, an opportunity to lead a team by running a project. You know, you might not have the capacity to give somebody three direct reports in a normal day-to-day role, but you have the opportunity to make them the project leader and there's five people on that team. How do you, how do you keep growing the professional in the context of 
not always being able to change roles in especially an organization that is flat and is, is lean. That makes sense to me is really, if I'm hearing you right, one, it's hard. It's a lot of work. You need to really be thinking about it. But two, the key is really focusing on the development side. You know, you should have the short-term goals in place. Most companies are pretty good at focusing on the goals and the numbers that need to be hit, but really spending that time to figure out how you help your employees and put that program in place to help with the development side of the career. That's makes right. a lot of sense. So I know you work in Treasury today. Can you talk a little bit, kind of switching gears here? I appreciate all that on the that program. And it sounds like, you know, you've done a great thing there by implementing that. But maybe can you talk a little bit about how Treasury and FP&A work together? You know, now that you're in Treasury, how, how does that, how do the two coordinate? And then what makes a good partnership for Treasury and FP&A or business finance? Sure. Uh we work really well with our FP&A team. Their, our FP&A team is largely embedded in the business, more like a business unit CFOs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do a great job of uh, really understanding the drivers of, of their business, ripping apart the P&Ls every month and uh, delivering uh, you know, forecasts uh, that we um, roll up into our forecasts where we're doing... Um, both short-term cash flow forecasting and then more of the longer-term strategic model. So the, the businesses, we partner with them. They uh, do a great job in, in terms of uh, helping to articulate what their different initiatives are. They kind of own the P&L aspects of it. And then we're putting it more into a income statement, cash flow balance sheet perspective, more of a three-statement look. And we work really well with them. We challenge them at times. They challenge us at times. Uh, really, uh, we communicate well with each other. We've got a, a great team. So the other thing that we work with them a lot is just our working capital, trying to understand the drivers. And, and the Treasury has a, has a working capital has a huge impact on our cash flows and uh, you know, really trying to under, work with the, the business, work with supply chain, under, making sure we're all on the same page and uh, in, in really uh, driving efficiency there where, where we can. That that makes sense to me. I appreciate you elaborating a little bit there. And it sounds like it works well and you have a good structure and your FP&A is mostly embedded. You said mini CFOs. I've filled that role a few times. It's typically where I've been in FP&A versus corporate. So, and that's where I like to be. That's where I say the fun happens is when you're down there working with the business. It is a very fun, uh, fun role. Uh, I've had a similar role in the past. It's, it's, uh, you know, you get to be like the, the co-pilot of the business. You know, you really, um, like I said, ripping apart that P&L, understanding the drivers, helping, you know, making recommendations, making decisions. It's, it's, uh, you know, the FP&A function is really highly valued in, in our organization. That's great that they have high value and they're respected. That's what we like to see because I think they can play a key role in businesses when they're allowed to and they're given those opportunities to really partner and work with the business. So we're going to kind of shift gears here. We just have a little bit of time left. We have a couple standard questions we ask everybody. Sure. We're going to go ahead and run through these. And the first is we like to ask everybody to describe a time or an experience where they had a failure at work. Something didn't go the way they wanted. We've all had them. And what they learned from the failure, maybe it could be an analysis that had gone wrong, an implementation or a change management that failed. And what was the learning or takeaway from that experience? Yeah, I would say, uh, I think about some of the failures in my career. 
there were probably times where I was slower, slower to speak up or maybe not as forceful when I did speak up. And uh, think about one time uh, we were heading into a budget review. And I had a conversation with my boss where we, we had recently inherited a business that the other business had already done a lot of work on their budget. And the conversation says, these guys aren't ready. They, they didn't really address the issues that need to be addressed. We, they really, we really need to redo this. And, you know, kind of got this pause from my, my boss. There's this, you know, this is theirs. They can own it. <laughs> you know, we're just going to go in there and, and we'll support them. And as I predicted, it was a disaster. I thought our CEO was going to throw me out the window. Uh, it was, you know, at the end, it's like, why didn't you fix this? Why, you know, not, not the guys that made the mess. It's why didn't you fix this? I'm like, well, uh, you know, at that point, you can't just say, oh, well, I, I thought about it, <laughs> but I, you know, I brought it up. So you gotta, you know, is, is, I think as finance professionals, um, we're very analytical. Sometimes you think the numbers speak for themselves. You know, you think that the issues are kind of black and white or you've done all this analysis and it's just there, but you really have to be forceful in your persuasion in, in your softer skills to say like, here's what the data says. And now I have to smack you over the head with it because <laughs> it is, I got to drive it home. And that is my role, not just to put the numbers together because not everybody interprets those things that you now think are black and white because you've spent so much time on it. So you've got to, you've got to sell what you're seeing and you got to tell them that's what the data says. This is why we, this is the call to action. This is why we need to change our course. And, uh, you know, if I think about the regrets I've had in my career, it's like intuitively at some point I knew the right answer and I was there. It's like, I uh, didn't do enough to stop that train. And, uh, you know, how do I, I, you know, how do you, you're not just a finance person, you're a leader. You have to, you have to, you have to change course. Uh, what I'm hearing there is speak up, right? You know, I like how you mentioned one, the numbers don't speak for themselves. We have to use persuasion. And when we're sure something's wrong, we have to make it very clear that our opinions heard. Yeah, they may ultimately go ahead with it, but we want to do what we can beyond just being the squeaky will, but really being persuasive. And yeah, I'm reminded as you shared that story, I had one similar in my career where we had interviewed this person and I had had the role previously. So they asked me to interview him and told the hiring manager, he goes, well, what'd you think? Go, he checks all the boxes, but you know, one, there's something not right about his resume and everything. I can't give you an exact reason, but everything tells me you should not hire this person. I would not, I would not hire him if I was you. He's like, oh, well, that's nice. But they checked all the boxes. They went ahead and hired him and it was a complete disaster. And I wish I would have found one been more forceful and found a better way to articulate what had been going on because it put everybody back six months because now they had somebody that they put in a role that failed that shouldn't have been in the role and they weren't getting the work done on top of that. So it was impacting not just that person, but everybody else. Um, I, I really appreciate the speaking up and being persuasive because sometimes we just, we let things slide. It's like, well, I can't really do anything or they'll recognize it when it's a train wreck. That's right. That's right. And it's, you know, it's your job to stop the train wreck, not to tell them why I saw it coming. <laughs> you know? 
Nobody wants to hear I told you so after Nobody the fact. Nobody wants to hear I told you so. That's right. That's right. That makes a lot of sense. So next question here. This is one kind of personal that we ask everybody to just get to know them a little bit. What is something unique about yourself that we wouldn't find online? Something you could share with our audience. So I'll go with, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about college football before. So it's the, the 100th anniversary of Ohio Stadium, the horseshoe this year. So that was actually my dorm room in college. So I, I lived, actually lived in the stadium for four years. So it was, uh, it's not there anymore, but they had a dorm that hung from the, the west side of the stadium. And uh, there were about 300 people that lived there. It was actually a co-op. So it was a scholarship. It's a combination of financial need and, and uh, academic achievement. So you, you worked in that dorm for uh, seven to 10 hours a week. In, in you for in return it was uh, cheaper than, than some of the other dorms on campus. But yeah, so I, I, was, I uh, worked my way through college. Part of it, part of the way was living actually in in Ohio Stadium. That is a cool story. So I have one follow up question to that. Sure. Could you see the Could you see the game from where your dorm rooms were? Were you able to look down on the stadium and no. watch a game? No. <laughs> so it, most of the rooms uh, did not have. Windows. So the, the one, there were rooms that are kind of facing outside, kind of towards the parking lot or towards the, the south end of the stadium that had some windows. I actually had a window at one point there. But yeah, it was, uh, you, you actually had to kind of leave the dorm and, and go into the stadium to, to actually see the game. Still, there were ways to sneak in, but, um, you actually <laughs> like needed college a ticket. students sneak into a game. I can't see that happening. <laughs> exactly. exactly. No, that makes sense. All right. So next question here. What is your favorite Excel formula? So uh, seeing some of your other uh, guest responses here. Um, so I'm trying to go with one I don't think was picked yet, but it was. I would go with the if statement. Good old-fashioned uh, if. <laughs> so that, I think that's been uh, really helpful in, in creating a lot of versatility in some of the, the spreadsheets we've created, especially in scenario analysis and there's some other ways to do that too, but uh, you know we've created some pretty cool things, largely based on the if function. I, I like that one. I don't think we have had that one, and it's a it's a simple function to use, and it's very versatile. Yeah, yeah, uh, so. I like that. All right, so last question we have for you before we let you go is: What advice would you offer to someone starting their career in FP&A or you know finance in general today? What would be the advice you'd offer to that person? Yeah, uh, maybe a little similar to the theme of my, uh, my my failure. Don't forget to focus on the communication skills. It's very important. I, I, again, as finance people, there's so many times dive into the data really deep and think you have the answer but that's uh really being able to articulate that to someone else can be a challenge especially in finance i think and uh you know many times i see you know you ask a you ask a simple question and uh you ask what time it is and someone wants to tell you how to make the watch or <laughs> in finance especially sometimes you, know, you just want a simple yes or no question you ask a yes or no answer you never you get 10 megabytes to nowhere is the word yes or no. So you've got to find a way to take all that data that you manage and all the analytics and find a way to 
to simplify that and give people crisp, clear answers in, in understand what, what is your intent with that answer? Do you want, is it a call to action? Is it to inform? You know, what do you want people to do with that information that, that you're giving them? It's, uh, not, I'm a big fan of the pyramid principle too, right? So it's, uh, you start with the punchline and you can drill down in more details, but that reader should know, you know what you're getting at very quickly and give them the opportunity to continue to drill down, especially in a world where we're you know, drowning in emails and drowning in megabytes of data. It's, you've got to simplify, simplify the message. I like that. Simplify the message. I had a manager, the way he described it, you mentioned the pyramid principles, he called it bluff. It's like, give me the bottom line up front. Just put it in bold. Tell me what I need to know. Then you can get to the details afterwards. And he called it the bluff method. And that's always stuck with me. It really helped me learn how to take it up to a higher level because I struggled, as I think many people in finance do, with getting into the details and wanting to tell the nitty gritty. And it's like, German, I don't, I don't need to know the nitty gritty. Let me know what I need to know to influence the business. You learn, you learn and work on that stuff. So I appreciate that answer. Well, thank you for being on the show today, Jeff. We've really enjoyed having you and I'm excited to share this episode with our audience and give them the opportunity to learn a little bit more about the finance passport and the exciting things you guys are doing at Hexion. Thank you, Paul. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. 